This is Conversations with Leaders. I'm Skyra Rito. Usually, I have a guest on the show, a young professional, telling us about their life and their history and the things that they've done here in our community. But today, I wanted to take this opportunity to share with you guys an experience that I had a couple of months ago. I had the opportunity to give a TEDx talk here in Lafayette, Louisiana in September. And my TEDx talk was a very personal one. It was about being a black woman in predominantly white spaces. And the title of the talk is called The Courage to Be Unapologetically Black. Now, it took me a long time to decide that I even wanted to apply to give the TED Talk. And when I was initially contacted to say that I had actually been chosen to be one of the speakers, um, I was excited. I was excited about having the opportunity to tell my story of being a black woman here in Lafayette and being in the spaces that I'm in and what, what my experiences are. Throughout the process, though, it was very difficult. I almost quit twice, actually, just because I was very scared of what the potential outcome of that talk could be. Because when you're vulnerable like that, and when you're, especially when you're talking about issues of race, it can be very controversial. It can be very much misunderstood. It could very much affect and impact your relationships and your ambitions, I guess, for career, your profession, all of those things. So it was very difficult for me going through this process, not just thinking about what the potential fallout could be, but also just being vulnerable enough to share that story, being being able to stand on a stage in front of my community and tell them about my experience, which has not always been great. Some of it has, but not all of it has. And um, it's usually hard for me to be vulnerable. I usually shy away from it. So just the whole entire process for me was an experience going through all of the dif- the different um, emotions, wanting to quit, wanting to do it, realizing that it was important for me to tell this story, not just for me, but because I was certain that there were other people experiencing the same things that I'm experiencing. And also because I felt it was important for those who don't experience what I experienced to understand um, a little bit of what that's like and why and why I choose to continue to do it every day and why it's important to me. Um, people who know me know that I always talk about intentional inclusion here in my community. And that that's a big facet of my life is figuring out ways that we can be more intentional about including people who aren't normally included in the decision making process and how it affects everyone. Um, I say all of that to say that I'm excited to be able to share with you the audio version of my TEDx talk titled The Courage to Be Unapologetically Black. Please feel free to give me any feedback that you would like. Um, you can go to my Facebook page, Skyra Rito. Uh, you can email me at skyra at skyrarito.com. Go ahead and shoot me over a message. Um, I'd love to, to have a dialogue around my experience and the information and experiences that I shared. So without further ado, The Courage to Be Unapologetically Black. In 2008, I voted for the very first time. And this election was important because not only was I voting for my new commander in chief as an active duty service member, it was my first presidential election. An election my mother nor my grandmother could ever have imagined would happen in their lifetime. I was voting 
to elect the first black president of the United States of America. As a young child, <laughs> as a young child, I distinctly remember noticing prominent black people because it was so rare to see them. Like watching the Oprah Winfrey show with my mom, she stood out, not just because she was Oprah, but because there weren't many other black women who were nationally syndicated television hosts. See, I come from a family of small business owners, and as a first-generation college graduate, I had the perfect recipe for success. And if I wanted to be a small business owner or work in corporate America, I would agree. But that was never what I wanted. See, I wanted to be on the forefront of changing the world. And not just changing the world, but changing it so that seeing black people in prominent leadership roles was no longer the exception, but the rule. See, President Obama and Oprah represented everything I aspired to be, trailblazers, change agents. I mean, what glass ceiling? And they did it by intentionally going into white spaces, building bridges, and being successful there. So that's what I decided to do. But there were two unintended consequences of my choice to be present in white spaces. Being ostracized by many in the black community and not being courageous enough to advocate for black issues. Here's the thing I learned about being black in white spaces. You are constantly reminded of what it means to be silenced, forgotten, voiceless, and overlooked. What it means to be in a room where decisions are being made that affect an entire population of people who have absolutely no idea it's happening and no voice in the process. You also learn how being the black person constantly seen at mostly white events and befriending mostly white people leaves you completely vulnerable and alone because to your own community, you are now one of them. I think Dr. Cornell West, a prominent black political thinker and activist said it best when he said, in America, you can't call yourself unapologetically black and be successful. I learned how to navigate white spaces. Early in my career, I learned how to navigate white spaces in a way that I'm as inconspicuous, non-threatening, and non-disruptive as possible. In other words, when I walk into a room where no one looks like me, I have to mentally emotionally and psychologically unzip black me. There are things I notice as a black woman when I walk into a room where no one looks like me. I know inherently that the color of my skin is going to change the character of that room. I am expected to represent all black people without portraying any black characteristics. Simply put, I can be visibly black, but not stereotypically black. I have been in a room with a group of leaders from around the state of Louisiana, mostly white, 
as they were discussing sales tax and how it's a more equitable way to tax the population. And when I stood up to explain why it was a regressive tax and not at all equitable, I was pulled to the side by no less than three white people. The first of whom told me I needed to watch my tone and be careful of how I spoke to people. The second one gave me a 30 minute diatribe on how he tries to rent homes to those people and they tend to not take care of the property. But the third person, the third person, she simply said, thank you, Skyra. I had no idea. I have been in spaces where the murder of black people has been described backhandedly as, well, if only he hadn't resisted or he was just a thug. I've been in a room with a board member of a local leadership organization who turned to me as we were discussing diversity and inclusion and said, well, I can't go get black people to become part of this program, but you can. I have witnessed on countless occasions as white people have said, well, everyone has the same access to opportunities and slavery was like 150 years ago, so get over it. And don't black people have more opportunities than white people to go to college for free? And most of the time, most of the time, I stay silent. But what I really wanna say is, the murder of black bodies is part of a systemic institutionalized form of racism and no one deserves to be murdered on the pavements of America. We all deserve due process. And yes, you absolutely can make your program more intentional and diverse if you came with me to meet with people of color to promote the benefits of your program. And there's a big difference between opportunities being available and everyone having access. And while slavery may have been a couple hundred years ago, a city councilman integrated our local school system less than 50 years ago. And while there are scholarship programs that target people of color, if they aren't in environments where they realize that higher education is an option, then who does it really benefit? Recently, I served on the board of a local member-based organization for three years. I was constantly reminded that if I wanted diversity, then it was my job to make it happen. So I did. My last two months on the board, I participated in a program that gave me seed money to create a scholarship program that reduced the cost of membership for one year and paired current members with new members. I posted about it on Facebook and in less than one week, I had almost 20 people, mostly African-American, committed to joining the organization. I will never ever be able to describe or explain what it felt like to walk into a membership meeting one month later, look up and notice that almost 50% of the room looked like me. It was the most beautiful thing I had ever seen. The exception had become the rule. And I no longer had to walk into a room where no one looks like me and constantly, silently remind myself, I belong, I belong, I belong. 
In 2017, I advocated for a local leadership program to give the first presentation on Black history and how Black people came to be part of my community. 2017, 30 years after the program was initially created. It was important to me to find a way to have my story told. And because of the relationships I had established in white spaces, I was able to make that happen. But you see, as much as I wanted to have my story told, I was completely terrified of how it would be perceived. Would I now become known as a race-baiting, agenda-driven radical? You see, it's hard. The struggle of working to do intentional inclusion and simply wanting to learn how to be successful. I've seen firsthand what happens to black people who are unapologetically black. It limits their career opportunities and their ability to be effective, especially in white spaces. It is simply easier to assimilate or advocate, but not vote. So yes, I asked for the story to be told, but I asked the presenter, please don't mention that I asked for it to be told because the potential of losing the opportunity to occupy those spaces and create change was too great. Now, it's also not easy being the black person who chooses to occupy white spaces because even when I want to be comfortable in my own blackness, I am ostracized by many in my own community. And the truth is, I sometimes don't feel worthy enough to stand next to them, next to those who publicly take a stand against racism, next to those who are working to create organizations and programs that alleviate violence in our community, next to those who are unapologetic about their blackness, its power, its beauty, and its worth. You see, I have been told that they need to see me doing the work that they do for the black community. And that simply isn't my form of advocacy. So because of that, I am mostly ostracized from most events, initiatives, and programs in the black community. Even when I offer to help, it is usually met with skepticism and suspicion. There are also stigmas attached to black people who choose to spend their time in white spaces. You are either an Uncle Tom, a sellout, or an opportunist. I have been told by a black community leader, there is no way you can ever convince me that you are in all of those white spaces advocating for black people. I don't believe it. It's not possible. It's not possible. It's not possible for me to ask the leader of a high profile organization to consider interviewing a black candidate for a role that has never seen a minority in a leadership position. It's not possible for me to advocate for a more diverse selection committee for a young leader award so that we have the opportunity to honor more black people doing amazing work in our community. It's not possible for me to shift the focus of a local program to local um, communities and areas that are more impacted by its mission. You see, just because I don't do the work that you do, 
doesn't mean that it isn't possible. Having to walk this struggle of being unapologetically black or successful is hard. It's hard walking in both worlds and constantly having to choose which is more important. Because I have come to the realization that it is almost impossible to do both. I must choose. And in every event, encounter, and board meeting that I attend, I have to choose which Skyrim goes first. Unapologetically Black, intentional inclusion Skyra, or unzipped, ambitious, assimilated Skyra. And y'all, it's hard because I lose so much with either choice. My entire community loses so much with either choice. For my Black friends, here is what I wish you knew. I wish you knew that I leave pieces of myself at home every day so that I can go to work and network and advocate for more intentional inclusion. I speak with careful, concise, clearly articulated words and phrases because it's necessary for access into spaces where decisions are made. Decisions that affect us, you and me. I wish you knew how much I advocate for more inclusion in leadership programs, boards and commissions, and projects and initiatives, but more important, for high-level roles in government, business, and nonprofits. I wish you knew how much I admire your dedication to our community, its empowerment, and its potential for better. I wish you knew how much I used to pray that my Blackness would be more like yours. I wish you knew me, your ally, your sister, your friend. For my white friends, here's what I wish you knew. I wish you knew how much of myself I hide in fear of being considered an angry black woman or a race baiter. I wish you knew how much I give up to live in your space and to have to endure being asked why more black people can't be like me, why you should or shouldn't support this black organization and not being courageous enough to express my true feelings and experiences every time there is a conversation about police brutality and the murder of black people. I wish you knew how much I love being your friend, but I hate being referred to as your black friend. How insulting it is when you tell me you don't see color, when I know you saw about five red stop signs and 10 green lights on your way to this event. <laughs> I wish you knew how beautiful I think my son's dark chocolate skin is and how much I love when you ask me to introduce you to someone black as opposed to sending you my list of black people. I wish you knew how much I love celebrating the color of my skin, my African and Native American heritage, my kinky, curly, sometimes knotted hair, 
and discussing issues of intentional inclusion is what makes my soul smile. I wish you knew me unapologetically, authentically, bold, black, me. So the question is, can I courageously and unapologetically stand in my blackness for both sides? I haven't figured that out yet. And the truth is, there may not be an answer. Because you see, every day when I look in the mirror, I long for the day when I can be comfortable in my own blackness. And I am constantly aware that although I stand in both spaces, I may never truly be accepted by either. Still, I persist. I persist because the opportunity for change matters more. The opportunity for relationships matters more. The possibility of waking up every day and walking into spaces like that membership meeting matters more. It matters more for my son. It matters more for my sister. It matters more for my entire community. And that is worth everything. Thank you.